Hi everybody, I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legally Marketing and this is Exhibit A Attorneys where we interview attorneys and other experts across the country to share what it really takes to be Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Today I have a fantastic guest, Steve Fretzen, the um, host of the Be That Lawyer podcast where he explains to people how to be that lawyer in a very good way, not in a bad way. Uh, Steve's written a bunch of books and talks to lawyers about the necessity for business development. Isn't that Steve? That is accurate. All right. So, and I love, I'm going to give Steve a specific shout out. He did a podcast episode with Jim Harrington. And so both of them in theory do the same thing. And I think it was, it was called like dueling banjos, right? That was yeah. the title. And it was just so cool to see because I, I, one of you was like, yeah, we should be competitors, but ultimately like we both agree that we're, we're both saying the right stuff. So like, let's work together to really get attorneys to believe it. And so I just, I thought that was such a cool take on a very important topic because I think business development is a four letter word for lawyers. Well, yeah. And the point that I made was that we're not competitors. We're both competing against lawyer apathy. Yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of us, our biggest competitor is action. So apathy yeah. in action. Exactly. exactly. All right. So we're going to dive deeper with Steve and get some really good tips here. Before that, I want to talk about our previous show was Moshe Amsel, who talked about the law firm growth summit coming up in February, as well as some of the things lawyers can do to start providing generational wealth and actually running a business that is successful. So we'll have the comments to the prior show down here, and then we're going to come back and we'll drop the comments to stay in touch with Steve. So what are the best ways for people to get in touch with you and tap into your brain and expertise more? Well, as you mentioned, I've got the, the podcast, Be That Lawyer, which is findable on any you know podcast platform, as well as my website, fretson.com. <clears throat> on that website also, you know, obviously there's a lot of information, my blog. Um, I've been writing for the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin for about five years, and all of those articles are available on my blog. Um, so... Um, that's really the best way to reach me. Uh, and if anybody's interested or ever has a business development question, I relish those emails that I get where someone has a question or something they'd like to learn. And, uh, you know, doing this for, for 15 years plus is, uh, you know, it's, it makes it um, fun and enjoyable to just, just continue to get new and interesting questions. Yeah. Um, also, Steve posts some really awesome stuff on LinkedIn. And I know you've written a number of books as well. I have. So I'm trying to hit, hit, hit a bunch of different areas that lawyers need help on. One is the first one's called sales free selling. And essentially that is just going through how much I hate sales, how much lawyers hate sales, and that you don't need to be a salesman or do sales to be successful at business development. And the book is a story of three people that hire a coach named Scott. I'll give you a secret. It's me. And uh, I changed the name to protect the innocent. And, um, and it basically, they, they join his class, his program, and they learn this process called sales-free selling, which is all about not selling. It's about listening, asking, empathy, and being more consultative, qualifying, things like that. And then the second book was, uh, it's called the Attorney's Networking Handbook. And that's all the tips and tricks to be a more effective legal networker. And then most recently, The Ambitious Attorney. And it's, it's a, uh, a culmination of, of articles I've written over the last five years in that, in that, uh, in that book that covers a lot of ground from social media to time management, uh, business development, marketing, et cetera. But uh, there, there's something for everybody. The most important thing being that a lawyer has interest. If they don't have interest in business development, if they don't find it important for their career, then you know all these ideas and tips and, and tricks are not gonna be uh, worthwhile. All right, so I have two follow-up questions. I'm not sure what makes the most order, so I'll, I'll start this way. 
Um, in terms of networking versus business development, are we talking about two different things? Are we talking about the same thing from just two different words? I think we're talking about the same thing because networking is the generation of business opportunities, the generation of, of development and develop, development of strategic partnerships and alliances that help get you in front of prospective clients, uh, GCs, CEOs, et cetera. And, and that's all a part of business development. So networking is one of the many elements that a lawyer would want to become an expert in to, to excel at business development. Okay. So then business development takes networking a little bit farther. Networking is, is just one of many elements of business development. So for example, networking, um, leveraging clients for business development, uh, developing client loyalty, um, um, presenting to get new, new business podcasting. How does that help to develop business? They're all part of the same thing the, the different question would be, what's the difference between business development and marketing? I think that might be right. Cause then there is some, they work together, but marketing, I consider the, the website, it's the, um, the social media posting, it's the articles, it's the things that you're leveraging to, to build activity that helps then to smooth over the business development activities that you're going to engage in. Okay. So I think for anybody listening, um, great opportunity to go back and pull that information again because it's it's fascinating to me how many lawyers skip over this totally. Want nothing to do with marketing, nothing to do with business development, nothing to do with networking. And then ultimately they end up either at the mercy of somebody else with the cases and the business development, or they end up broken unhappy. Or maybe both. Right. Or they go or they figure out how to go in-house and and that may or may not be a sustainable move, you know, these days. But uh, you know, it's funny, I was interviewing on my podcast a, a very high-end uh, experienced recruiter for lawyers. And he couldn't have been more straightforward about the value of a book, the value of having your own clients, uh, whether you want to be portable and move to another firm, go out on your own, or just to maintain a lifestyle of <clears throat> in happiness and enjoyment, having your own clients and not being at the mercy of someone else's business or someone else's clients. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just so true. And yet we, we sit back and we wonder why lawyers are, are, you know, uh, figuratively sticking their hands, you know, their head in the sand like an ostrich about this whole thing. Um, but at some point, it's going to come home to roost, and and uh, and that's when things are going to things are going to get uh, a little a little prickly. I like the uh, consistent poultry analogy there. There we go. I, I'm um, staying with lots of lots of anything with feathers. So <laughs> this is the thing. I you know I just I it seems so commonsensical to me because even like the old model, I guess the old model would be you worked at a large firm and you worked your way up to partner. But now even over the last 10 years or so, you've seen a lot of these big firms have two different partner tracks, the partner that actually creates new business and the partner that just bills a lot of time. And the new business one is a, is a better track. It's a more wealth, uh, financially beneficial track. And the, the answer to that is um, unfortunately simple. It's, it's fear. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of what to do. It's fear of what to say. It's a fear of wasting time. It, the, you know, the fear of rejection. I mean, the, the amount of fear that is surrounding business development and the legal community is keeping people that are very capable um, from doing it. And so whether they invest in someone like me or, or, or you or, or buying a book or, or anything, just investing time in learning it, it um, it's, it's something that just, it just blows my mind. Um, so, so we have to try to 
give lawyers some some olive branches to to try to relieve that fear and do it maybe slowly and gently uh, versus just you know ripping ripping the bandaid off. And that's that's where we have to go. Uh, we have to give them you know, some soft some softball. Um, you know, uh, blog articles or books or, or podcasts, something where they can slowly start to uh, release that fear and start to realize the importance of it in their, in their legal career. All right. So I think the easiest way to get into this, like, can we do a hypothetical here? Let's go for it. All right. So let's say um, three people get together to start a brand new law firm. You know, one of them is just at a law school at, you know, 24, 25 years old. One of them was at, you know, state attorney's office, PD's office, but has never generated business. And the other one is, you know, fresh out of law school as well, but maybe in their 30s or 40s, had a prior career. They start a new firm. They have no idea what they're doing. They know they need to develop business. They bring in the expert Steve Fretzen. What are you doing with them on day one? Like, where do they start? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think that hypotheticals, you know, I don't know that that's, a, that's one that, that happens. I think mostly people are, um, trying to gain experience. So working with other lawyers that have more experience to gain that experience and, and becoming a great lawyer, becoming a competent lawyer is sort of job number one. And if you're, if you're out getting clients, but you can't do the work, uh, and you're not going to make anyone happy, that's a problem. So I think, I think that while some people are being forced to go out on their own, um, you still need a mentor. You still need some people that can help you, uh, you know, learn the law. And then I think once that's, starting to, to, to ripen up a bit and starting to get a little sharper, um, whether it's estate planning or real estate closings or something like that, um, then I think you want to start looking at putting together a plan. And the plan should be, how am I going to develop my network? I think that's where you have to start. So what are the local networking groups I need to join? How am I going to start you know, getting in front of my family, friends, business associates, other lawyers I went to law school with, and starting to, starting to get those relationships um, you know, tuned in. And I think that to do it without a plan, to do it without process must be very aggravating. Uh, and so I, and I think it, I would, I would recommend they get some kind of help by either through me or through education. But if I'm working with them, they're going to put a plan together. We're going to put tracking systems in place. We're going to make sure their firm is set up with, with the right type of support system, softwares and and in um, space and and, um, and assistance and things like that, so they can focus on the law and focus on the business development and not get pulled down in the weeds of of running a small law firm. Uh, there's a lot of automation tools, as you know, that they can use. But I would then, you know, help them just start from the ground up. How do you build your network? And then, you know, get some opportunities. And then when you get the opportunities, you know, what's the process you're following there? So what I guess I what I guess I'm saying is that everything that lawyers need to learn about the law is critical. And then the second thing is you need to learn business development as a product, as something that's a learnable skill. It's not something just for the glad handing country club lawyer, right? I mean, those days are, are not over, but they're not like they used to be. Um, I think, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be, you know, you could be a, a, a scientist, engineer, IP attorney who's highly introverted and with a process you can still accomplish you know, just about anything you want. So we just need to get those, those processes learned and, and, and incorporated into their day. And then good things are going to happen. It's interesting. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had Sean Mendez Catlin on who talked about getting into uh, esports and gaming. 
and so he said like the exact same thing that you're talking about you know finding those local organizations getting involved with those to get that sort of immediate pulse on the community um but you know we're coming on here we're still what are we 10 months into covid still hopefully we're getting towards the end of it um but has that changed your advice to attorneys starting this path or is it just how they go about joining those organizations is what's changed a little bit. Um, a bunch of things have changed, but not as much as, as people think. Um, I'm still, there's still networking going on through zoom. Uh, there's still events happening. I, you know, run networking in Chicago. I'm a part of networking in Chicago uh, and nationally. Uh, and the, the big change is that, you know, people that, that were, you know, focused on launches and focused on conferences and focused on trade shows and focused on things that were live. They've, they, they're the ones who need to kind of, you know, call the audible and start thinking about how they need to adapt. And some of the adaptations are focusing on your low hanging fruit, focusing on your, the network you've built, going back to the well, uh, leveraging LinkedIn at a whole other level. I'll give you an example. I was talking with a client a couple of days ago and this is a, a, a client I've probably given, you know, five to 10 referral sources to. Like I've been a very good giver as well as a coach to this individual. And we, we spent 15 minutes and we went through his LinkedIn together. We went through maybe 30 names of lawyers and we identified three or four that looked really good that, that he thought would have high, a high level of interest in speaking with me, not hiring me, just speaking with me. And then he's going to proactively make those introductions. So that type of activity is going to not only be, um, you know, time efficient, but also more effective of actually getting the kinds of meetings that you want uh, versus a three-day conference where you're just kind of spinning your wheels, you know, drinking and glad handing with people. And then, you know, if you don't follow up, it's like you never went. See, and it's interesting because I think that <coughs> when, when done right, you're actually maximizing your ability to, to meet people in this manner because you don't have to, you don't have to drive between you don't have to make sure the schedules, you know, line up in person, you know, a, an hour lunch might actually be a two hour commitment there and back. Whereas a 30 minute zoom meeting might be 30 minutes and 30 seconds, you know, to get on a log off to jump around. So it sounds like there's even more opportunity with a lot of these things still being virtual. Yeah. I mean, let's take that a step further. So an, <clears throat> an average day for me in, in Chicago, in the city is walking down LaSalle street with snow hitting my face sideways and filling my ear with snow as I'm trying to get to a meeting and, you know, you get to the meeting and you're all wet and everything. And if I was lucky, I'd have maybe three or four of those kinds of meetings in a day. Now I'm in Ireland talking with Walt Hampton, who's an amazing, you know, uh, guy. And, and then I'm in California, you know, later that morning and then, you know, et cetera. So having like an average of maybe six to nine meetings a day, and they're all super efficient. You're still able to build relationships, but you're doing it in a more efficient way because we're forced to do that. And everything is, is potentially, um, you know, just easier now. We just, and I don't think we're ever going to go back to the way things were. I mean, networking may, but I'm not sure. I mean, even the networking I'm running in Chicago that we're ever going to go back to full, you know, live in person, face to face, you know, it's just, it's worked out so well, uh, through zoom. So I think we have to look at this as, as an opportunity. And I'll give you one more example. A number of my clients who are dealing with general counsels who would struggle to get meetings, lunch meetings, you know, because the GC has to leave the office. They have to go and meet them at the restaurant. The, you know, they have a long lunch because they're having a good time talking. That's great for relationship building. And then the GC has to leave so that GC might have three, four hours invested in this. 
And GCs are going to turn that down because they don't want to spend a half a day. They don't have the ability to spend half a, half a day at a lunch anymore. So now you can get a meeting with a general counsel and have the whole thing knocked out in 45 minutes. And they're more inclined to say yes, because their schedules are a little lower or they're just, they're, they see it as it's not going to be quite as, as time consuming. So we have to look at the positives. You know, there's so many negatives, obviously, with what's going on. I mean, beyond, beyond belief. From a business development perspective, I think it's been a little bit of a blessing. Absolutely. And so it, to, to continue on that path, I mean, we're talking about the ability to connect with not only people that may, that not only people you would have already tried to connect with, but also like you talked about being able to be in so many different geographic areas. How does that attorney make the decision on kind of what's the best use of their time? You know, do they stay local? Do they look for some bigger fish in a different spot? Do they mix and match? What do you, what's your advice to them? You know, I think you just want to understand before you do anything, you know, who are, who are your primary targets? And you want to look at all the different elements to that. That could be location. You know, I want to focus on Chicago. I want to focus on LA, New York. Okay. Another piece might be, you know, what's the title of that person? Is it general counsel, CEO, CFO? Uh, it could be a particular industry. I work really well in the pharmaceutical space. So now it's pharmaceuticals with that title in this area. And again, the, 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 the deeper you can go into that, the more specific uh, are the targets. And then you're not wasting your time chasing around a bunch of other things. You're really hyper-focused on where the business for you are, where you have the most uh, or the greatest likelihood of getting the business because maybe you're, uh, you've spent you know, 10 years in pharmaceuticals and you know that, that industry in and out. So I think you just have to look at, as, at your business. Is it local? Is it national? Another element to this, by the way, is cross-marketing. Some of the bigger firms, uh, you know, now you don't have to travel and go meet with your partner in Austin, right? You can do a Zoom call. You can get one of the clients on a call. You can do business so easily all over the place that the opportunity for cross-marketing for the mid-market and the bigger firms, uh, if they're not focusing on that, I think they're, they're, they're best. I mean, that's a no-brainer on so many levels uh, because you don't have to travel. Travel's a hassle. It used to be fun, and now it's not. So, um, you know, now that you have the ability to do that, to take advantage, I think would be, would be a, a, a great way to grow. So in terms of that, and I love that idea of, of getting people, getting people in the firm together a little bit more, you know, with the need, especially in some of these firms that are nationwide or in multiple States from, from that attorney standpoint in that business development networking component. So let's say they're in that like five to 10 years at a law school range. They've, they've understood the law enough, even though it always changes, but they're up enough and they're really trying to get into that business development thing now. Do you recommend that they mix looking for you know, less experienced attorneys, similar experienced attorneys, and more experienced attorneys than them to build those relationships? Or you know, how do they make that decision? And we're talking about within like the other offices of their firm, or are we talking about just relationships in general? Just in general, like that... that you know, you talked about the need to really understand the law. So let's say they're, you know, five yep, years yep, yep. doing what they're doing. They're on board. Now it's like, like business development time. Like that's priority one. They've got the law down enough to, you know, to not worry about it as much. Yeah. I mean, from a, from a, from a direct, you know, like where are the prospects? That's, that's a different subject. But if we're talking about networking and, and developing what I call strategic partnerships and strategic partnerships are the relationships where people can refer you on a regular basis. It's not one every five years that just happened across a desk. It's people that are in a similar space. For example, a gentleman here in Chicago, his name is Brad Barkin. He does malpractice insurance for lawyers. So 
networking with him monthly is really important for me because he's dealing with the same people I'm dealing with. doesn't matter if he's 25, 35 or 65. If he has the network, then, you know, and he's, and he understands how to network and how to be a giver, you know, that's going to be a, a good fit. And I'll give you a quick acronym that I put together a few years ago that really sums up like, how am I, not only who am I looking for, but what am I using to qualify who might be a good strategic partner? Okay. And the acronym is TALENT, T-A-L-N-T. And it's, uh, uh, the first T is, um, is looking at, is the person trustworthy? Can I, can I get to know this person in, in, in a way that I'll understand that they're, that they, they're going to follow through? Because if you're dealing with someone who doesn't follow through, you're kind of dead in the water before you start. Uh, L is like, is the person likable? If you're dealing with someone who might have a huge network, but they're not likable. In fact, you hate them. They're terrible, right? Probably not someone you're going to want to attach your name to. Okay. They're a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I actually, I went from T to L it's T A and A is authority, which is their expertise. Um, so okay. I apologize. So it's T A L and A is authority. And what that is, is, is the person expert. So if I'm networking with Brad Barkin, Brad Barkin's been in malpractice insurance for lawyers and law firms for, you know, most of his career. So I don't question whether he's an authority. Now, if he said, Hey, you know, I've been selling homes for, you know, 10 years and I just got into the legal space with malpractice insurance and he doesn't know a thing about it, well, that's going to be a problem. I'm going to be sending lawyers to him and he's going to be screwing up their policies. That's not, that's not going to work. Right. So we want to have someone that we can trust that is an authority that we like. And then the, the next part is the end, which is network. Does Brad or do, does the person you're talking with have a, a significant network? Someone who sits behind a desk and cranks out uh, legal work may not have a network. And if they don't have a network of their own clients, of their own connections, connectors, then they're going to be less valuable to you as a networker because they just don't have anything to give you. There's nothing to share. And part of networking is, right, how are we adding value for each other, right? Just and then, um, oh, sure. No, no E, T-A-L-N-T. It's talent. Yep. Yeah, we're, we're blowing off the E. So T-A-L-N-T. And then we got we got our last T. No, I mean, last, the network yeah. is huge. The network is huge. And, and it's not that you disqualify someone because they don't have a network. If you want to stay with them and, and because you notice that they're, they've got all the other attributes and you think they'll build a network in the next couple of years with your help or without your help, and you think there's value there, then, then, keep, then keep that relationship. Don't, don't snub them because uh, they don't have a network at this time. But I can tell you from my perspective, I'd much rather network with the CEO or the president or the managing partner of a law firm than an associate who's, you know, cranking out, you know, 60 hours a week behind a, behind a desk. And then the last T is top player, which goes to what I just said. Someone that is a shaker and mover at their firm, someone that's a shaker mover or, or at their company that really has put themselves out there. That's going to be potentially a better networker than someone uh, who again, hasn't. So these are the kinds of things that I'm looking for in, in a new strategic partner for myself. And I see myself a little bit as a baseball scout where I'm trying to find where the talent is. It's not at the local playground in my neighborhood. It's going to be in, you know, the, 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 the high school and the college level. It's going to be in, in the Dominican. It's going to be in Cuba, right? I mean, that's where the best players are coming from. So I need to know where the best players are. And then I need to bring them up slowly, not, putting all my eggs in the basket, bring them up slowly to test them out and see how they perform to know if I want them on my starting lineup or not. So I'm not, I'm not 
this is not networking for me is not a knee jerk reaction. I'm out looking for the right people that complement what I do. And also I can refer because I've got a lot of clients that need, you know, need these other people. And uh, so I just like to, to make sure people can really follow through and, and that they're true givers, not just takers or people that just want to meet my, my clients so that they could sell them services. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I try to play um, top golf or regular golf, you know, during the week, like two, three o'clock in the afternoon. And so I had somebody asking, why do you do that? It's so inconvenient. And I was like, right. But if you're going to prioritize getting together for networking at two or three o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to make that same decision 50 other times, which lets me know that you're going to have a better network in the long run, whether you have one now or not. And so it's like, a, it's been a good way to, to I don't want to say weed people out, not the right term, but it's been a good way to know who has or will get that network because they're prioritizing it. Yeah. And I think the big problem people have with networking and lawyers do this, they network for years, they don't get anything out of it. And they say, well, that was a waste of time. And I would agree. I think it was a waste of time. Maybe other than meeting some nice people and building up your network a little bit and maybe your brand, it kind of was a waste of time. And those are all billable hours. So if you're going to network and you're going to put that effort out, to not do it with some forethought, with some planning, with some process. Again, I, I keep going back to the well, Jordan, but there's a reason. It's because if you're going to do anything well, you want you don't just want to wing it. That's just not a great way to play things these days. So you had mentioned about whether they're true givers. You know, and I think that's such a great way to phrase it because ultimately, like we we should always be looking for networking as a win-win-win. Win for you win for me and win for all the clients we connect to each other. And so tell me a little bit more about that true giver. Like, what are you looking for from them? So let me, let me, I'm going to back out of that for a moment and tell you that I, I have actually put people into three categories of networkers. There okay. are take there. Okay. So there are takers. There are what I call apparent givers. And then there are true givers. Okay. And here's the difference. The taker takes, the taker wants to sell. The taker wants to to hand out cards. The taker just is there for a selfish reason and, and has no interest in giving, has no, it's not a part of the, of the makeup of that individual. Those people find themselves in trouble more quickly now than they did back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, because they're going to get found out. And when they walk in a room, it's going to be like Moses parting the seas. People were trying to get away. Okay. But that still exists. People that are not educated in how to network they're going to they're gonna think that's what they need to do, get out and pass cards out. And it's going to turn people off right away. The second group is the tricky group. These are the apparent givers. These are the people that understand conceptually what networking is about. They say the right things, but they're, they're, there's an inability to follow through. There's an inability to, to stay organized or, or just, um, they're, just, they're, just not, they're not in the right mindset and understanding of how to give. They haven't been maybe coached up to how to give properly. So- an example of this would be, Jordan, I want to introduce you to Fred Smith and I do an email introduction. I never spoke to you. I never spoke to Fred Smith, but I make a blind email introduction. You two don't know each other. You had no interest in meeting each other. And all it's doing now is wasting both of your time because you're like, Steve's a good guy, but why is he making this introduction? This is like a wild goose chase. Now I feel like I have to follow up with this person who, you know, is, is an insurance salesman or is this or is that. It's no good. So the problem isn't that the person's a bad networker. The problem is that they've never been educated on how to be, how to make a proper introduction. Okay. How to do something that's going to be valuable, as you mentioned, for all three in, involved. And that's where you get educated to become a true giver. These are the people that understand not only how to give selflessly, but to make introductions that are meaningful. Um, there's a, there's a, a person, I won't mention a name, 
that is considered to be a superstar networker. However, what I've observed of him with me and with others is that he just tries to make as many introductions as he can for someone. Let's say that I meet with him. He makes 10 introductions for me. Some people might think that's incredible. I think that's destructive because I now am engaged in, in following up with 10 people that have absolutely no interest in my services, have no interest in connecting with me. So now I'm just given more work. It's, it's a great, his concept has the right meaning behind it. It has the right, I think, feel behind it, but it's so terrible. It's like playing chess with no rules. I'll just move these players any way I want. And that's really going to be a problem. So while there are some people that say this guy's a terrific networker, I say not so much. I feel like there's a problem with that process. There's a problem, there's a breakdown in his methodology. So if I'm going to introduce you, Jordan, to somebody, first of all, I want to talk to you first. Okay. Is this person the kind of client you want? Is this person someone that you can network with? Is this, is this a good fit? Just, just conceptually in a five minute conversation, do you feel like this is someone that you'd get value from meeting? You say yes. Then once I have every party bought in, now I can make a proactive email introduction, knowing that it's going to be sticky, knowing that it's valuable and that I'm doing the right thing. And that's the real giver. And those, and, and we try to do that and you're one and I'm one. I mean, I know that. And we get a lot of good uh, karma from that. And we also don't have to waste our time chasing after stuff and, 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 and following up on introductions that are just a waste of time. And so it's, I think it's efficient as well as effective, which, which is what everybody's looking for. See, and I think there's a whole nother component with that that plays into it. You know, you have that, like, there are certain people in my life that every time I see an email from them, that's like email intro with somebody else. I'm like, I know this is going to be worth it. I know this is going to be good. I know this is yes. right. And then there's other people where I'm like, that person I think always feels obligated because I send them stuff. And so like, we'll see where this goes. And so you kind of, you're building like that psychological component of everybody looking forward to the connection because you're giving a better connection. Yeah. So I'll give you a quick example. So um, I have a client who's a labor and employment attorney on the plaintiff side. Okay. And we agreed that the best way for him to get business is to connect with defense side labor and employment attorneys that don't do plaintiff, right? They, they pick one side or the other. And I've made a ton of those introductions to him and I don't have to talk to him about it. I just need to talk to the defense side attorney and say, do you have someone that that's good? Do you have someone, do you have an opportunity to, to bring someone else into your life that you could refer and get to know? And that, that I, I think is great. And you might too. And if they say, yes, I make the introduction. I don't have to talk to my, my client, Alex, before that. I just, I just do it. And he's just super, he knows that I've got his back and he knows that the introduction's quality. And by the way, not everybody wants to meet him. There are some defense attorneys I talk to that go, look, I already have three of those. I refer them. They refer me like I, he would, you know, I would be wasting his time. He'd never see anything from me. Well, then I don't make that introduction because why spin the wheels of, of, of those two nice people if they're not really going to connect and make it work. Right. Yeah, no, I I'm, I'm on board. And so I think that dovetails into something else I want to cover. You had mentioned, so the greatest flaw or mistake you see people making is trying to do too many things. And I think that is such a key point that like, I talk to lawyers that do nothing and I talk to lawyers that do everything not well. And though, I mean, those are at least from the problem standpoint. So what is too many things? What is putting too much on your plate? What is not putting the time and effort into things? I mean, how does somebody know that when it comes to business development? 
I mean, the first thing that you might want to do if you're in that predicament of doing too many things is really to analyze how's it going? Um, where's the business coming from? Where are the connections coming from? If you're in a local networking group that you've been going to for three years, once a week for three years at 7 a.m. in the morning, and you're not getting a ton of business, like a significant amount of business, like that's a tremendous amount of time, early morning time, you know, two hours a week or whatever it is. Um, you may want to consider dropping out. And it's not that you're a quitter. I think there's something to be said that quitting is a good thing. And looking at your time and your billable hours and where you should be spending your time, it may not be the right thing. So what I try to do is work with my clients to figure out where the low hanging fruit is. And the best example is, is, is exactly that. I had a guy who's an IP attorney, awesome guy named John. He um, was networking everywhere night, day, morning, didn't matter. He was meeting so many great people. And I think he enjoyed it too. But when I asked him about the results, they were really lackluster. And I said, John, how many clients do you have? He goes, I don't know, 250, 300 clients doing, you know, trademarks for, for these small businesses. I go, I have some good news and I have some bad news. I said, the, the good news is I'm going to make you a lot of money. I said, the bad news is you're not going to be networking anymore. He was like, what? I said, yeah, you're done. You need to quit these groups. You need to get out of here. And he was like, no way. It's not. And I said, listen to me, you have all the business you'll ever need and more through the 250, 300 clients that all can do more work with you cross market into your firm and have quality introductions to other CEOs, other GCs that they would be thrilled to make for you. So you're going to work 20% as much as you're working now. And you're going to make, and you're going to double your book of business. And he was like, all right, now I can, now I think I get where you're going with this. That makes a lot of sense. But how do I do that? I said, well, that's where I come in. And then we work together on the skills to the skills and the language to make that a reality. And then in, since then he's been, he's been killing it. It's, it's interesting. I find, you know, the Pareto principle applies to more and more things. So, yeah. you know, you wear 20% of your clothing, 80% of the time you get 80% of your payment from 20% of your clients. You get 80% of your clients from 20% of your, you know, marketing or networking yep. efforts. So it's, it's interesting to see, especially, um, you know, when you're actually tracking that data and making changes from it, you can drive and, some really serious change. And the only, the, the people that, that, that we can't do that with, meaning, you know, looking at the low hanging fruit is when someone is, you know, they don't have a network, you know, they lived in Pittsburgh. Now they live in LA. They don't know anybody, you know, then, yeah, you got to start at the bottom. You got to, you got to get out there and, and find the right networking groups. You got to get out there and present. You got to get, you got to write, you got to do all those things, but you don't have the clients. You don't have the friends. You don't have the strong strategic partnerships yet. So you're going to spend 80, 90% of your time building it with the goal that eventually in a year or two or three, that you're not going to have to do all that heavy lifting. You're going to work your way out of it and up to where the 80% at the top could be where you're dealing with clients and strategic partners and things where there's just, there's just more recurring opportunities than like going out and meeting strangers all the time. That's not, that's not a long-term sustainable play. Well, and along those lines, you know, I, I get this question. I'm sure you get the same thing. So I connected with so-and-so, you know, I haven't gotten anything, but I really like them. You know, what do I do? And I'm always like, you still hang out. Like you, you don't have to only have friends based upon business development. You just remove them from, you know, the process you put in place, you remove them from, you know, whatever it is that is that circle. And then like, just go grab a meal or go grab dinner or go to a ball yeah. game or whatever. 
Is my that father's my, my father's advice to, to, to me, and he's a retired lawyer, but it was, if you can't make, make a sale, make a friend. And that goes for networking. Not everybody's going to fit that talent or not everybody's going to fit, you know, to be on your whatever dream, dream team of strategic partners and networking partners and all that. But there are people that you meet that are just interesting, that are just likable, that are just, they're terrific. And so make the friendship, you know, we could all use more friends, um, you know, in some cases. So, um, but not everybody's going to be a fit for, for like a strategic partner that's going to refer you three, five cases a year. I mean, that's, that's not everybody. That's going to be a much smaller group of people. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm on board. And again, like that's the, ideally you, you know, it's the, the BNI or, or your, um, your L in talent, you know, ideally you're going to refer to people that are great at their job and you like them and are likable and whatever it is. But like, if somebody's, if somebody's great at their job and you don't like them, I think it's a lot easier to cut them out of your life. If somebody's likable, but they're not, you know, that talented or they they don't have the business, then just be friends. Yep. Like you can do that. And again, it, in, in many cases, it works out where you get the whole package, right? Like when I talk about, you know, Brad Barkin or Ron um, Boxstall or, or um, you know, all these different people that I have in my life that are significant strategic partners, but they're also my friends. You know, they're also people that I want to go fishing with. I want to go golfing with. I want to go on a, a boat ride with whatever. Um, and so that's the best of both worlds because you're not always talking business. You're just enjoying the friendship, but you can also be very straightforward and say, you know, Hey, let's take 15 minutes and sit down and, and go through each other's LinkedIn wins good for you. And it happens and we do it and we can't talk more enthusiastically about each other than we already do. So it all plays out in, in the best possible, um, case scenario. All right. So as we get towards the end of this, I mean, any big points that we've missed? I mean, I know we've covered a lot here. I know there's a, a ton more to cover when it comes to, you know, your knowledge and experience and business development here, but. Yeah. I mean, just to reiterate that um, I don't want you listening to this to think that that business development is out of your reach. It's, it's a learned skill um, and it's, it's something attainable and you don't have to go from zero to a hundred. It can go from zero to 10 and start slow. You know, you can take a year to try to grow 10% by doing a couple things better than you did last year. The, the biggest lesson I learned being my background is in sales, right? And I'm not a lawyer, by the way. Um, I got it pulled into this in 2008 with the recession, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, cause I work with the smartest, nicest people in the world and the lawyers that, uh, that are my clients, but. Um, you know, what you really want to consider is, is You're very um, selective in which lawyers you work with though, Ben. I mean, I'm really working with like the 5% sliver of the best, of the best lawyers out there, you know, and, and it's, Wonderful. that makes it my life, my, makes my life terrific. But, you know, there was a question that, that I asked, you know, do you have 10 years of sales experience or one year of, sa of sales experience 10 times? And so I want you to think about that as a lawyer. I mean, if you, if you're the same lawyer after 10 years that you were your first year, you're not going to, you're not going to be a very good in a, in a courtroom. I mean, you need to learn and improve, learn and improve. And business development is exactly that we need to continue to learn and improve. And if we're, if we're not doing that, then we're, 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 we are going to be wasting time and your billable time is money. It's, it, it, it's, it's your life and your, you know, your whole, it's, it's, you know, how you pay for things and take care of your family. So you want to make sure that if time is money, that you're investing time wisely and effectively. And that's, that's a way to look at it. Yeah. And I, I just want to, I want to echo what you said and add, and don't be embarrassed by not knowing these things. Like law school does not teach you any of this in any way, shape or form. And I could go on a whole diatribe about <laughs> law school doesn't teach you, but you know, business development is totally a skill that you have probably never been taught 
it is okay to not be an expert at it. It's just be intentional about learning it from great sources like you. Yeah. Own up to it and just say, I'm going to get better. I'm going to, I'm going to study it the same way I studied for law school, the same way I study, you know, uh, for anything I want to achieve. You know, if I want to become a great guitar player, well, that doesn't just happen because I want it. I have to actually take lessons. I have to read music. I have to get the right equipment. I mean, a lot that goes into it. So we have to just remember that it's, you know, it's something that, that is a process you have to go through. All right. So as we wrap up today's episode with Steve, I want to talk about our next show is going to be on Monday, the 25th at 1.30 Eastern time. We're going to be speaking with Mike Whalen of Lawyer Forward. Um, if you have not had the opportunity to talk to Mike, Mike is such a cool person. He has such a different take on, I think, a lot of the lawyer stuff. And so Lawyer Forward strives to create communities among lawyers and really bring everybody together. So that'll be next Monday at 1.30. But before I let you go, Steve, I want two, two more things out of you. Um, one, any other contact information, or can you give us the contact information one more time? To make sure, so people? sure. So my my name is uh, is my website. So it's Fretzen, F is in Frank, R-E-T-Z-I-N.com. That's the best way to get information about what I do and how I help attorneys, uh, either through coaching and training, which is one of the main platforms that I focus on to get these skills learned, and then the other is peer advisory. I put lawyers together in uh, exclusive practice area. Uh, I mean, so everyone's in a different practice area, but they work together as an accountability team, as a, as a team to learn from each other. And that's another, and I facilitate those meetings and we end up with, uh, with a lot of happy people with that. So um, that information's on my website, or of course, check out Be That Lawyer. And I interview people like Jordan and, and Guy Sakalakas and Jay Harrington and all these great people so that we can work together to talk through uh, the kinds of information that's going to be helpful to you as a lawyer to be that lawyer. All right. So then with that, the last, the way we end all of these shows, if somebody's been listening to this or watching it for the last 45 minutes and they take nothing else out of this, what is that one biggest piece of advice, most important thing you know, what do you want to make sure as many lawyers as possible take to heart? I would say that if, if you're looking down the road at your future and you're, let's say, a 35-year-old, you know, senior associate uh, or, or, or a solo, you know, making 100 grand a year, you're looking down at your future five or 10 years from now, recognize that if you're looking for security, if you're looking for, fi you know, financial security and, and, and time security and, and, uh, and you're looking to make sure that you're, evolving as an attorney and, and as, a, as, a, as a practitioner, you know, take the time to read a book, take the time to listen to Jordan or a podcast or, and, and, and start getting your mind in a place that sales isn't a bad thing. Uh, we can call it business development. That's easier to take in. And it really is about, about going out and meeting people that you can service, people that are going to appreciate the work you do. And, uh, and you have to go out and meet those people in order to uh, build your own practice and having your own clients is the single most important thing a lawyer needs to get out of this. Without your clients, you're at the will of a lot of other factors. And with your clients, you have a lot of options that you can, that you can focus on to stay sustainable and happy and really call the shots, which is, and my father's other most important lesson was Steve, be an entrepreneur, always run your own thing. Don't have a boss. And I'm not saying that having bosses is bad, but Look, you know, I call my own shots unless my wife tells me otherwise. So that's what I'll leave everybody with. So, yeah, I just, and I want to just to jump on that for one more second. I mean, 
A, yeah, my wife's the same way. I love you, Heather. <laughs> um, but two, you know, this business development thing, this is not going to turn your firm or your brand around tomorrow, but this is the stuff that's going to override any Google change in algorithm, any iOS update that prevents privacy, any Facebook ad blockers, any LinkedIn spam message blockers. I mean, like this is the core foundation for you to build long-term success that is going to be accentuated by any other more traditional marketing that you do. But without this, I mean, you're constantly at the mercy of, you know, the, the marketplace in essence. Yeah. And if you're feeling stuck and alone, then, you know, work with me, work with Jordan, get a mentor, get a, get, you know, talk to people and figure out how they did it. And, and don't, don't, you know, don't feel like you're on an Island. There's, there's resources that you can use to, to go to get, to get where you want to go. And it might take some time, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Steve. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Jordan. Appreciate it. And uh, nice seeing you.